0: Hey, welcome to another Good Chat. We're going to cover some important topics here today. Uh, Probably the most important topic worldwide is ice cream, so we're going to get into that uh, at length. We're also going to talk about ways that uh, service-based or technology product-based organizations can still give back. Uh, We're going to talk with Mona Lipson, formerly with VidMob, about their service grants program. And I say formerly because this past week she uh, fell victim to VidMop's third round of layoffs. And she's on the market, but not for long. So let's take this episode as a uh, as a pre-interview for you to grab her for your organization. You can also look her up at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Mona Lipson, L-I-P-S-O-N. Uh, yeah, and, and as always... Welcome to the podcast. All right. We've got another good chat this episode. We are talking with Mona Lipson, who holds a couple interesting social impact seats, not only as someone that's in the CSR space working for a tech company, but also as a social, social entrepreneur herself, um, helping out the neighborhood, so to speak. And I'll let her get into that uh, a little bit later, but she's not only a director, at a firm, but she's also a sitting CCO at another organization. So hi, Jess, and hello, Mona, welcome.
1: Hello, hi, Mona.
2: Hi, everyone, thank you so much for having me. And should I clarify what CCO stands for?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I so clarify to what it stands, exactly, clarify what it stands for, and then we'll talk about what that industry is.
2: Absolutely, so CCO stands for Chief Churning Officer, and yes, churning <laughs> as in ice cream. So chief churning officer for my ice cream social entrepreneurial business uh, called Miss Mona Makes Ice Cream. And it was a bit of a, a COVID accident, but a really great one and aligns with uh, how I've spent the last almost, I guess, 18 years years of my working life, which is in the social impact and nonprofit space. So I knew that if I was going to ever start any kind of business, that there would need to be that social impact element to it. And I just so happened to have found that in ice cream.
0: Yeah, and and you, you've really been all over the space. You've been on the agency side. You've been on the founder side multiple times. You've been on the leadership side, solopreneur side, like everything.
2: Yeah, it started with an opportunity to co-found a nonprofit organization back in 2004. And that got me started in the nonprofit space and ended up going back to school for a master's in public administration and bounced around at a few incredible nonprofit organizations, including the Girl Scouts, which uh, got me more focused on the corporate element of, of nonprofit and social impact. I was uh, one of the team members on the corporate side, and I had a chance to work with Fortune 100, 200, 300 companies. And it really got me thinking about the the impact that the corporate sector can make and and the responsibilities that they don't often take on and that I think they should. So from there, I went over to a corporate foundation, then a social impact agency. And now I find myself uh, on more of that CSR, social impact side of a Tech marketing startup company.
1: Oh, so we have to know uh, the responsibilities that corporations don't take on and should, because this would be a great audience for us to learn and understand how we can impact that change in our organizations. Do you mind sharing? Yeah,
2: you know, it just hit me at some point when I was working in the nonprofit space that we've put the responsibility of solving our world's biggest problems on what we call nonprofits that have to raise their operating budgets 5 10 20 dollars at a time
0: mm-hmm. and
2: none of that responsibility really falls on the corporate sector when they have more resources, more funding, more people than the nonprofit and government industries sectors combined and and it just really got me thinking like well what if like what if every company took on just a fraction of that responsibility would we even need nonprofits or would nonprofits act as as like the the social service agencies that would actually get the work done, but wouldn't be fighting for the same pots of money, um, wouldn't be struggling with, you know, turnover because uh, staff are, are underpaid uh, and that that oh so frustrating um, concept that donations should be going to programs? yet program would not exist if there weren't people behind them. Um, And so I I started to look and and discover more what the corporate sector has to offer when it comes to solving and taking on some of our world's biggest problems.
1: Yeah, the old overhead problem. Peter and I talk about that often.
2: Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's something that I feel some of the probably even larger nonprofits could could take a stand on and and basically say we are spending 30, 35 percent on overhead because our programs wouldn't get done. Um, and and unfortunately, there's also these these third party sites that are judging and rating nonprofits based on how they spent their money. But I think it's incredibly Um, It's doing a disservice to the service.
0: My opinions,
2: of course. (laughs) It sounds like I'm in good company.
0: Yeah. Migrating the employees of nonprofits into the actual programs as opposed to overhead so that they don't drop that number by existing, which is just nonsense.
2: Nonsense. It
0: doesn't function otherwise.
2: Exactly. And then I love that that whole concept of shared value when we have companies that have services and products that can be used in the social impact space. And you know, what would it look like if every company was responsible for, you know, making sure that one percent of their product or service was going to support um one of these one of our world's biggest problems? Like how would that move the needle uh, versus nonprofits having to uh, beg and plead for for $10 donations and underpaying staff.
0: And, it, and it's going to seem That's like I'm question. jumping all over the place here, but that is something I love about VidMob's program. In in my mindset, it's non-traditional. It's innovative, and, and you're keeping that promise that you just made.
2: Exactly. We feel like we have a, a product and our service that can actually be used to make the world a better place. Um, and we don't want to limit uh, the ability for for nonprofits to access what we have to offer simply because of of costs and so we work with upwards of 60 70 nonprofits a year um, offering them vidmob services which um, which I don't think we've talked a little bit about but we we focus on um, two things creative and creative intelligence so we not only uh, produce and put together a digital short form social media ads, but we also analyze those ads. Um, and we take a look to see what creative elements in those ads are helping audiences engage with them. And so from a nonprofit perspective, that means we're helping them, we're helping these organizations discover what makes a better performing fundraising video, what makes a better performing volunteer recruitment video. What makes a better performing sign this petition video Um, with insights and best practices that we are gathering both from testing their own videos, but from the larger community uh, and seeing seeing what elements in creative are performing best, you know, like having your call to action in the first three to five seconds versus at the end. You know, having your brand and your logo consistent throughout, and all these things that we're seeing are are helping videos and ads perform better. The nonprofit community has the right to know that, so that they can reach their their impact goals. So we're really proud and honored to to be able to support so many incredible uh, issues and that impact a lot of our employees as well. So it's a it's a great employee engagement. Uh, tool, I guess you can say, or strategy, uh, but we we work with our our employees to make sure that we are supporting nonprofits and issue areas that impact them as well.
0: So it's the 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 do I, donation is the wrong term. We keep using the term donation for this this corporate social responsibility work, but what what you're offering, what you do for the nonprofits, is pro bono engagements from your own team as well as the technology that's that's involved, and it's. Is it no cost?
2: Exactly. And, so we see, wow. we see it as like a service grant, I guess. So instead of a financial grant, we're offering our service.
0: Which, which of course, could have a longer term impact because it sounds like beyond just making that initial creative or supporting that initial creative, you're helping uh, teach and you're you're giving the tools to do it again to make it repeatable. Exactly. Um,
2: and- Capacity building is a is a large component and part of our strategy. And so we, we hope to be able to provide nonprofits with with these insights and best practices and tools so that they can continue to make better performing videos for, for their organization.
0: So how do you ideate and deploy and sell into an organization, especially a startup, to make that kind of investment with both human capital and product?
2: Well, I think I'm, I'm really lucky to to work for a, a company that is purpose-driven, that sees the benefits to the community, to their community, to issues that are pertaining to our community. Um, and so we pride ourselves on being a, a purpose-driven company.
0: So how did it start?
2: Oh, it's a good story. Unfortunately, I wasn't at the company when it started, but i um, uh, probably was I guess maybe year three of VidMob, and who uh, the the person who is now my my boss, who is our executive director of VidMob, gives, was at the time volunteering with his family, in a refugee camp in Lesbos, Greece, and he was friends with the CEO of VidMob. And they were talking and I I don't want to misspeak or or tell the story and, you know, in my own words, but, but the, the gist is that VidMob wanted to help. They, they knew they could make videos and they, you know, and, and this, uh, this refugee camp that my, that our executive director was volunteering in saw that there was a need. And so VidMob saw that they could step in and help with some fundraising videos. And that's really what got this idea started was we have the, the tools and the expertise to make videos. Nonprofits need video help. Uh, and that's how it all got started because of a incredible volunteer opportunity and experience in Lesbos, Greece on a refugee camp and VidMob creating some fundraising videos that very quickly raised a couple thousand dollars. I think about $10,000. And they saw yeah, I love those. the future to this, right?
0: Yeah. I love those origins that come from authenticity where it's not we joined some program or we had to make some sort of promise in our IPO, or this is a checkbox that we understand we have to have. This, this was, this individual wasn't even working for the company at the time. He just happened to know the CEO.
2: Yeah, exactly. He worked in the advertising space for many, many years, was a creative director. Um, So there was that connection there between using, you know, marketing and advertising for good, um, but had not spent any time specifically in the social impact or nonprofit space. Um, and and that's, how, that's how VidMob Gives came to be about, I think now, seven-ish, eight years ago. And then I joined about a year ago as the second employee of the VidMob Gives program. So there's two of us leading all of our social impact initiatives, but we do utilize staff from across the company. Um, so they are jumping in and acting as project managers and strategic client managers, um, and helping us with our operations. So another great another great opportunity for employee engagement is being able to utilize staff members from across the company on our projects. But yeah, only, only two of us so far, hopefully more in the near future as the program grows.
0: Well, you're global. You've worked with well over 100 organizations. So I think just two people are making a massive <laughs> impact already.
2: Thank you. Yes, we have offices... In Brazil, and Dublin, and Singapore, uh, and we work with nonprofit organizations around the world as well. So, yeah, any nonprofits yeah, out there yeah. listening that need some some help with video and creative intelligence should definitely reach out.
0: And that was that was going to be my next question because you had alluded to in the pro bono that the that the individuals that work for VidMob are doing this volunteer work for causes that are important to them. So are they bringing forward organizations that they're they're proud of or they're fond of or they're already working with? Or is this something where a nonprofit would apply or audition?
2: Exactly. So we don't publicize. We don't have a grant application. Um, most of our nonprofit partnerships come from recommendations from staff members or Uh, opportunities that maybe we've had uh, at conferences or workshops or webinars where we get to meet some of these nonprofits. But a a large majority of our nonprofit partners are referrals and recommendations from VidMob staff.
1: That's incredible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jessica, you're leaving us hanging. So Jessica, the the way I got to know her was employee engagement. And She's got every innovative idea behind it. So let, let, can we make this a conversation, Jessica, as opposed to me just grilling this poor person? <laughs> yes, yes.
1: I So something you wow. said earlier, I was mulling over in my mind about the best practices that VidMob offers to nonprofits um, in terms of creating their videos and then posting them to get more of an impression and more clicks and more fundraising. Uh, is there a counter to that? Is there an opportunity for best practices for corporations that are working with nonprofits and want to message their work, their combined work together? Are there ways that corporations should be doing that better?
2: That's a great opportunity that we haven't tapped into. Um, Our clients are for-profit clients where we're working with them to better dissect and understand their creative ads, but we have not worked in conjunction with a corporation and their nonprofit Uh, partners to message, how to message better together. But definitely something we hope to do because we do know a lot of our clients are very, uh, have pretty strong social impact uh, departments and initiatives. So definitely a opportunity there that needs to be explored for sure.
1: Yeah, I'd love to learn more. I think that's a big opportunity because I know there are organizations doing the work with nonprofits, but we don't necessarily hear about it very often. And it'd be great to understand what's happening behind the scenes and then the impact that it makes. I know that's a long... Uh, a long-term play but understanding how that impacted the nonprofit might entice other corporations to step up and build these partnerships as well.
2: Definitely, you know, and it's such it's so interesting because there is that fine line between right companies talking about their social impact projects and initiatives where it comes from a genuine and authentic place versus coming from that marketing space mm-hmm. and we know that consumers and audiences are getting savvier and savvier and can see through which initiatives are are sincere, uh, and which initiatives are a part of those companies, and which are just simple, you know, check the box, like you had mentioned earlier, or, or one-year things, and it's something that I've dealt with myself in my in some of my past positions where companies are a little hesitant to talk about some of these these projects because they don't want to come across as like a as a PR stunt, right? Or or the famous greenwashing and pink washing and all the washings. Um, but I, I do think that the more you talk about it, the more you see that it is ingrained in business strategy and ingrained in uh, purpose and ingrained in the DNA of a company. So I I do hope that more companies Come forward and and share the the important work they're doing in collaboration with the nonprofit sector, with the social impact sector, because um, people, I think people are resonating more and more, especially if they are genuine.
1: Mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah. Um,
2: but uh, yeah, <laughs> and while while all this is happening. I am still running an ice cream company.
1: So. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Can we go back to the ice cream? I know we put it on ice. Huh. Uh, Can you tell us more about Miss Mona Makes Ice Cream? How does that work? What's happening over there?
2: Yes, it's it's happening. I'm trying to juggle juggle a few things, but it's it's become, I think, a part of my identity. I mean, I'm like wearing an ice cream necklace and everyone insists on giving me ice cream related things and swag and merch. Um, but uh, I'll try to, I'll give you the the short abridged version of how it came to be. Uh, those dark days of, of lockdown, you might remember them now almost, we're getting on three years ago. Um, I had started making ice cream for fun, probably around 2017 friends would come over we'd have gatherings and I would just whip up some ice cream and unlike most people that I think have an ice cream maker they maybe use it once and then it goes into a cabinet never to be seen again and mine just was never back in the cabinet (laughs) and people would joke and say to me you should start a you know an ice cream shop and like haha very funny that's not going to happen. And then COVID happened. And I knew for therapeutic reasons, I was going to need to make more ice cream, but there was no more room in my freezer. And so that first weekend of lockdown, I packed my car with maybe 10 pints of ice cream. And I set off in the empty streets of Brooklyn. And I dropped off uh, these 10 pints with friends and family. And I snapped a picture and I put it on Instagram. And the next thing I knew, random people were asking me how they could get ice cream. And so I proceeded for all those dark, sad months of COVID to deliver ice cream for free around New York City, some of the uh, surrounding suburbs. And during a time when most people were supposed to be isolating, I was meeting tons of new people and finding that there were others doing very similar things. So there was a woman who was giving away pizza. Were you doing something similar?
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. The, my, my COVID journey and kind of how I got into this space was doing that with barbecue.
2: There you go. And so not I was giving away ice cream, but I was coming home then with like hauls of stuff like macarons and pizza and Rice Krispie treats and jams and jellies and herbs and flowers. And so it felt like this natural um, opportunity to use some of these things that I was being given in the ice cream. So I have all these macarons that somebody is making down the street. Let me put the macarons in ice cream or all this jelly in this jam. And that's when this idea started to formulate of, okay, if I'm going to start a business, an ice cream business, it has to have a community social impact core, and so what if we use ice cream as a mechanism to promote local and small businesses? And so the all the mix-ins and the variegates and the crunches and the swirls in ice cream are actually from local small businesses. And we get to tell their story as we share these different monthly flavors of ice cream. And so that's kind of how it started. So I turned it into what was a COVID hobby, like your barbecue, um, to an actual subscription-based ice cream business. So uh, every month, people that signed up would get three pints of ice cream, different flavors, and each of those pints featured a different local small business. Um, and alongside the pints, there was a video where uh, I interview or I didn't interview the, the other businesses, but they were sharing their stories with us. They were also offering uh, discounts and promotion codes to continue to incentivize incentivize people to to buy their products. And it was just a really wonderful community of people that, that I was able to meet. And the, the business has shifted a little bit. I haven't been able to maintain the subscription, but Ice Cream is still featuring local small businesses, and it is available at a shop in Manhattan called Pine and Polk. And the shop itself also focuses on selling um uh, diverse and women-owned businesses. I think something like 80% of the products in their store are are run and started by diverse and women-owned businesses. So really proud to be a part of that community. And then what's extra fun is there's a wall of chocolate and it's really a secret door to a speakeasy behind the shop where you can also get the ice cream at the bar. So that's how the business has sort of shifted and we'll see what happens in 2023. It might shift again.
0: I might be wrong, but I don't know if that's how secrets work. <laughs> it is really cool that you were able to take something that was that was a, a, a therapeutic passion for you and build community with it. And then broadcast that community. <laughs> <laughs> I can do a pun too, Jess.
2: Wait, What happened to your barbecue venture?
0: <laughs> I still do it. And like you, I don't do it at capacity like I used to. But that's one of those things like brisket comes at 10 or 15 pounds and is as great as it is, as jealous as I'm going to make everybody that's listening know that I don't have a store that it's placed in. And I still just I have to gift it. And uh, it's not of. Yeah, that's just what I'm doing.
2: If only we swapped brisket for ice cream. I don't know how I would have incorporated brisket in ice cream, but I have made a barbecue-flavored ice cream. I was going to
0: say, you could make something savory.
2: With some bacon. It was a a bacon, pecan, what are they called? Pralines. Yeah. Pralines? Pralines pralines with barbecue sauce. And then there was some cheese in there, which I would not do the cheese again. The cheese was weird.
0: (laughs) What's your favorite so i can ship it to you
2: brisket and is- that was my
0: big thing i didn't do it local i shipped
2: ah that's impressive ice cream shipping ice cream is like a whole thing i have not people do it but i have not ventured into the shipping ice cream world quite yet <laughs> it's hard to find a, an environmentally sustainable way to ship ice cream it's tough
1: it's true yeah what's been your favorite flavor or maybe a customer favorite
2: I, I always say it's like asking somebody who their favorite child is. It's such a hard question to answer, but um, there's there's a few. I would say I make a really good basil ice cream. That That's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fan favorite is a roasted marshmallow that I pair with these decadent, Brooklyn Blackout Blondies from a local business up here in Westchester called The Blondery. She also started in Brooklyn and moved up to to Westchester. And that flavor, that one is so good. Another fan favorite, everyone loves a birthday cake. So I collaborate with an e-commerce donut bakery that focuses and features cake donuts. And so it's a um, a cake batter, sprinkle ice cream with chunks of Hanna's Bakery uh, rainbow tie-dye donuts. That's another another fan favorite. But I think another one of my favorites, and this will be the last one, is a goat cheese flavor. And I recently Mm -hmm. paired that one with a small business um, that makes mandel bread. And so we did a fun goat cheese and honey and mandel bread uh, flavor. So wow, one of my faves. So yeah,
1: that's incredible. I love that it was a connection piece for you during the pandemic and yeah. kind of the barter system that you created with folks. I think that's great of sharing uh, all your creations with one another in a community style. That's wonderful. And also, as hearing you talking about the different flavors. You were highlighting all the other organizations and and small businesses that you work with. So um, just an incredible venture. I'm really excited to hear that you've been up to it and what you've been up to. But I wonder what's next for Miss Mona Makes Ice Cream and also VidMob while we're there as well.
2: What is next? So... Uh, We shall see. I I recently did move out of New York City to a smaller community about 50 miles north, and and I like the idea of of continuing to build that community engagement, and so I think potentially moving the business up to this area and, and getting to know my neighbors and working with some of the businesses up here is really enticing. I love New York City. New York City is my home lived in Brooklyn my whole life, but there is something that I'm learning is unique and special about these smaller communities outside of large urban areas. And so I'd, I'd like to explore that and working with some of the businesses up here that maybe don't potentially get all of the exposure, you know, as as Brooklyn bakeries do or, or Manhattan um, cafes do. So so we'll see what happens there. And, and thankfully, VidMob has been pretty supportive of, of my ice cream venture. There was a time when the freezer in the kitchen wasn't working, and I wanted to bring in some ice cream. And they actually bought me a small freezer. Oh, they <laughs> could store the ice cream in, which was uh, very, very generous and appreciative. So, VidMob, we are we are continuing to build out our social impact strategy uh, into the twenty twenty three year. Um, we'll see. We'll see where the year takes us. As I think everybody knows, if there's other tech companies listening, it's been definitely a challenging end to 2022. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to have to get creative, as most companies are. But we are we are committed. We are part of the Pledge One Percent um, commitment, and so that will always be there and continue to to forge important relationships where we can make an impact.
0: Yeah it's It's neat that you you brought small town flavor to New York City and then you moved to a small town
2: <laughs> that did happen didn't it
0: and and I really like in in the case of vidmob that a lot of individuals organizations, whether it be like these this grander philanthropy or even our personal philanthropy there's this hesitation to start because you don't feel that you're doing enough and and we've witnessed a lot of companies trying to take it all on at once. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the methodology of perfecting, understanding how to best implement your product for nonprofits and support them with your, with your company's true talents was the better starting point than trying to do everything at once?
2: A hundred percent. I've said this even before I started at, at VidMob and especially when I, I worked a little bit more in the commercial co-venture and cause marketing space is just get started. And and what's that, you know, excuse the terribly overused saying, but like, what is that low hanging fruit that you can, you can just get out there right away. Um, And I do think social impact is a spectrum. And, you know, where do you want to start on that spectrum is a great place to start. Um, And so, you know, for VidMob, it was with product. That's what we, we had. That's what we excelled in. For another company, it might be a cause marketing campaign, right? If you are a A B2C company, that might make more sense, right? Like throw together a a month where a percentage of sales are going to an issue or an organization that's important for you and just get started. Um, Maybe it is volunteering, Um, although volunteering can be tricky because unless it is something that the nonprofit has already set up and they're prepared to handle, volunteer programs can be incredibly taxing and expensive. So that's something that we've talked about also extensively is... When we do have uh, volunteer initiatives and events, uh, what does that look like for the nonprofit? What kind of funding do they need to host us? Um, and so I also try to uh, try to make sure that it's mutually beneficial. So yeah, I think I think just get started is is a great place to start.
0: And um, to, to help you with the low hanging fruit thing, because I'm I'm I, I use a lot of tired idioms. We had uh, Amy Sample Ward of N10 on the show, and she used a term that I'm, I'm just trying to build into my own zeitgeist of mechanism of power. What is your mechanism of power? And we all have power one way or another. And I, and I just thought that was so cool. So let's okay. let that low hanging fruit rot on the vine. And Sounds start good to me. I'm happy to
2: let that rot and move to uh, our mechanism of power. I think it's much more powerful anyway. Um, but even in businesses, I, I've said the same thing, right? Like, I don't know if I was ready to start an ice cream business uh, I don't know if I was ready to take on customers but you just need to get started and you know you'll you learn from from the experience and you just have to be open-minded and be ready to pivot and adjust and be flexible depending on on what you learn so yeah whether it's a, a CSR and social impact initiative or a, a small business that you have an idea for I think, the best piece of advice is, yeah, just get started. It's never going to be the perfect time.
0: So we've had, we, we talked to a lot of people that come from the tri-sector, one point or another, their, their government or their nonprofit or their private sector. And a few people that like jump back and forth or the, they've had some influence, but you, you're you adding a fourth sector in my mindset because I never think about larger nonprofit corporate partnerships yeah a lot of the nonprofits we talk to it's it's the the donor mechanism it's the fundraising side not a true partnership and is that's really different that's really special and and I guess I, what I want to ask is your perspective on both the smaller nonprofit front and on these larger nonprofits that have the corporate partnerships what are they looking for how can programs be built better on on the CSI and CSR side to match what the nonprofits actually need
2: It's such an important part and and something that I've always, when I was making the transition from the nonprofit to the corporate space, and it was always really surprising to me that they weren't hiring more people from the nonprofit, that most of the people running these programs either came from marketing or PR or HR and had never experienced what it actually is like to work in the nonprofit sector. So like, First, I would say, start there, like hire some people from the nonprofit space to help you understand how to build a successful, mutually beneficial partnership. Um, I think before you even go at it, like understand the nuances and the struggles that that nonprofits face. Um, And then you bring up another really good point, right? The small versus the large nonprofit. Um, And the large nonprofits are going to have more resources. They're going to maybe have dedicated staff to work with you. They're going to have marketing budgets. And so there is a benefit to working with a bigger nonprofit. They just have the capacity to put programs together. And it's something that we face and struggle with all the time where we want to help the small nonprofits. And I, I actually run a small nonprofit on the side also. we um, I do work in Guatemala with an organization called Guatemala Healing Hands. And like, we're tiny. Our operating budget's, you know, under $150,000. Like, I know that like, I don't, I barely have the capacity to to work with a corporate partner. We just don't, we just don't have the, the people power to do that. So I think I don't think that there is a a negative to only working with big nonprofits. It actually might push your agenda farther because they have the capacity. But then what will help the small nonprofits? It might actually be dollars. It might not be building out an extensive partnership because they just don't have the capacity. Um, And we're seeing that all the time too where we're looking for some impact numbers. We want to know how did the campaign, You know, simple things like how did the campaign go? And they might be completely volunteer run, and they just don't have the, 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 the time, the space, the, even the expertise uh, and the technology to provide us with uh, data that we're looking for. So I think the first and foremost is understanding the, the nonprofit dynamics, hiring some people from the nonprofit side, um, and then really understanding what you're trying to accomplish. And if you want to build out a partnership, it's probably going to have to be with a larger nonprofit because they just have capacity. And that smaller nonprofit might really appreciate your matching donation.
1: Mm. A lot of good nuggets in there.
0: The Um, the hiring aspect. So I'm big on product impact. That's my my thing. That's what I believe in. Yes. And I've been discovering something that I've just been calling an invisible equity and I'll come up with a clever name for it eventually. But when the tools are given when modern cutting edge tools are given to nonprofits and their people are trained on how to use it, it. It it helps dispel this myth that when you work for a nonprofit, you're broke and all you use is a bootleg copy of Windows 98 and, and Lotus Notes. And that's the only tech, you know, whereas with these offers and, and what's being given, it's no, they have a modern tech stack. They are trained on the modern tech stack. They understand the modern tech stack. And now you have people in and don't hire away everybody from the nonprofit sector. And if you do start thinking about going into it yourself, we need people on, on every side of the, of the picture doing the work. Um, but it's really cool. And and that's something amazing about the work you're doing because you provide that, that tutelage in it.
2: Well, what's all we're a pretty new industry too. So even our corporate uh, clients are fairly new to this creative intelligence. And so if anything, like they're on a, they're on the same level oftentimes, right? As long as there is somebody who is dedicated and who has, um, who is hired to run, you know, digital marketing, uh, and, and has, has that background, they're oftentimes coming to us potentially with the same level of expertise that some of our corporate clients, because this is such a new, new space, um, new -hmm. space in the, in the, in the field.
1: Yeah, this is something that I often think about um, bringing in and making sure that non-profit voices are represented in corporate spaces. Um, From my experience in nonprofits before I jumped into the corporate world, the term keeping the lights on was just that's just what we always worked for. We were really trying to make sure. But then in corporate spaces, that's taken in a negative way. Um, as like, do I want to partner with an organization that's just keeping the lights on? I just remember advocating so hard, like, no, you don't understand. It's the way the system is built. If you're getting your grant funding and you're unable to to pay for overhead, how can you keep staff? How can you keep programs running? All of these things. So it's important to have all those voices at the table as we're making these decisions and funding and and programming.
2: Yeah, there's I'm I'm by no means sponsored by this person, but one of my favorite uh, TED talks is by Dan Pelota. I don't know if you've listened to it. Uh, it's probably now almost ten years old, which is also such a shame that it's still so relevant. But he's the founder of of the AIDS Walk, and he gives this incredible TED talk about the way we think about charity is all wrong. And he he addresses those key points. He addresses like the overhead. He addresses staff pay. He addresses um, this notion that you can't spend money on marketing and advertising, and he just articulates it so well, so much better than I can, which is why I usually point people and I'm like, just listen to the the Dan Palota TED Talk. And I I saw recently there's actually a new documentary I think coming out in February um, that that he is featured in, so I'm really excited to to see it. And yeah, I, I I would like to have things have changed from from ten years ago,
1: but it's been slow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mona, you and your teams are doing incredible work in the community and um, with your ice cream, everything from creating ice cream to empowering and capacity building with nonprofits and VidMob, building community, all of these things. It's incredible what you're up to. We are so happy you joined us today to chat through all of the things that you're working on. And I can't wait to see where... Miss Mona's ice cream ends up and also where Vidmar Gibbs goes next. So we'll definitely be following you and we'll look for the Dan Pelota uh, video as it comes up too. Well,
2: and I was going to say, if if you want to help me as part of your your environmental sustainability uh, new position, if you want to help me put together a shipping mechanism to get ice cream across the country, I will test it with you.
1: (laughs) I will keep that in mind. We'll have to find some scientists too, because I'm not sure about frozen ice, how that is, how good that is.
2: (laughs) I know. And all of the like styrofoam and insulation. Some people are using like recycled denim and clothing, but I have not explored it too much yet. So to be continued.
1: I meant dry ice, frozen ice. Mm, okay.
2: I know, I knew what you meant. All yeah, day. thanks. Um, was, uh, this was fun. It's just always fun. I don't care if we were recording or not recording, just meeting other like-minded, socially impact-driven people uh, is always very thrilling for me. And you're talking to some incredible other people. So it's just an honor to be included. Thank you. Yeah,
1: thank you. I guess one last thing, if people want to find you in these organizations, where, where can they go?
2: So, Miss Mona Makes Ice Cream is on Instagram at Miss Mona Makes Ice Cream. Of course, find me on LinkedIn, Mona Lipson, and Miss Mona Makes Ice Cream.com for updates on, on the business outside of New York City. We shall see. And of course, VidMob, vidmob.com, uh, and you'll find our, our Gives program is on there as well.
1: Amazing. Well, as always, It's been a good chat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that does it for this episode. Should you or someone you know be our next guest? Visit goodchat.org and click the link to nominate a guest. If you like what we're doing, please rate and review us and tell your friends. You can find other ways to support us at goodchat.org and uh, catch you next time.